0: This episode of Clinic Gym Radio is brought to you by Clinic Gym Connect. Just go to clinicgymconnect.com to learn more. But Clinic Gym Connect is a wonderful, amazing communication system that you can use in your clinic to grow. All growth has to start around communication and Clinic Gym Connect makes that easy. With two-way text-based communication, the ability to send out review links, the ability to wow your patients, provide great customer service, follow up more efficiently, faster, And using the method of communication your patients are already using, which is text messaging. You can learn more again at clinicgymconnect.com. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the US. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, as always, Dr. Josh Satterley. And it's my pleasure today to be joined by Tony Gracia. Tony, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Now, Tony, you are the uh, the uh, owner slash head trainer slash lead floor mopper out at in Industrial Strength in Portland, Oregon. I love that name, by the way, Industrial Strength. What a name for a gym. I think that's the best, that is the greatest name I've ever heard for a gym. So congratulations on that.
1: I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And Tony, I wanted to have you on the uh, the the podcast here because we get a lot of people listening who want to start a gym. And I know that you are at an interesting uh, time in your career because you had a huge 6,000 square foot gym. Um, It included a Brazilian jiu-jitsu training area. And you recently had the opportunity to move and you got a little bit smaller of a space, which I I have a feeling is part of the story. Um, But it's pretty rare when people get to basically hit reset and build back the perfect gym exactly the way you want it. And I think you're in that stage right now. So I'd love to talk about this. For sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's go back. Um, Maybe you want to just kind of fill us in on the original gym, what you started, what the goal was, how it started, and then we'll go into the lessons you learned when you started your second one.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I started my career in the fitness industry in 2007 and worked for a big box gym for about six years or so, also here in Portland, same kind of general neighborhood of Portland. And it was around the end of 2010 that I sort of decided that long-term I wanted to do my, my own gym, but I was pretty happy where I was at the time. So there was no sense of urgency about it and just sort of had it on my radar. Right. And then, uh, when things really got in motion were 2013, the company I was with went through quite a bit of changes from the top down and, uh, you know, long story short, they were trying to cut as many costs as they could. So they terminated like 40 of their top executives and VPs and all that in like a day. Um, and then with us down at the club level, anybody that they sort of had anything on, right? Anybody that had a blemish on their record, they did the same thing. Uh, thankfully, I stuck around because I had been, been squeaky clean up to that point. Um but they, they still sort of wanted to cut costs. So those of us that had been around a while and had maybe a higher salary, they just didn't make it a very fun place for us to be anymore. And so I saw the writing on the wall and parted ways with them uh, that summer, um, gave them my resignation and was like, OK, well, looks like we're, we're opening up the gym. And uh, the, the initial vision of the gym was quite a bit different than what we now have. And so I think there's a lot of lessons that I learned and that I think would be pretty valuable for your listeners along the way there. So our initial vision was something along the lines of a facility that was decked out like a strength training gym that was sort of a come and go as you please, where we would provide both instruction and, and programming guidance for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm a little rusty on it because this was some time ago, but it was Something along the lines of if you wanted to come in, you'd do like a consult with us. We would sort of see where you're at and help put together a plan for you. And you would come like do your workouts and socialize with your buddies in there and like that that sort of a thing. And so that's that is was the initial vision, and it's important to bring that up because that's how we outfitted the gym from an equipment standpoint. And then we got underway, and very quickly people were like, oh, this is great, and are you guys like ever going to do classes? Cause I really like, you know, love what you guys do and I'd love to like do some classes and that sort of thing. And there was a lot of loud voices for that. And we're like, okay, well that wasn't on our radar initially, but let's kind of try it out and see how it goes. And long story short, that's basically all we do now is we do personal training and classes and we quickly did away with any of like the open gym time and circling back. That's really important because the way that we, Outfit our gym from a layout and from an equipment standpoint for an open gym based model is extremely different than what we do now, a personal training and a class based model. So, with the open gym, we had like one or two of a lot of different stuff because, you know, people would rotate and share and, you know, want to go from one station to the other to the other. And that's about the worst way you can have a class-based facility. So as as our business became more and more class-based, what we realized was the most successful way was to have as many identical stations as you can, which might look more like a collegiate weight room or something like that, where they've got 15 power racks that all have the same bars and same weights and same medicine balls and same TRX and same et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um so over the course of it's been 7 years now um and a few big remodels and iterations and things like that that's the transition that we've made we certainly could have saved a lot of money over the long run if we had started with the same same model that we have now because we wouldn't have had to buy equipment and sell it off later for less than we bought it for and stuff like Dude, that if
0: we could if we could just have 1% of all the money that either people spent on the front end of their gym of equipment they never use yeah. Well, 1% of the stuff you realize along the way you need yeah. and you can see how these businesses stay, you know, the, the, the perform betters and the rogues and everything it's, it's unbelievable right. how much equipment yeah. they move. And like you're saying, a lot of times, you know, you'll see it, you'll know it's a second or you'll know it's an established gym when they're like, Hey, do you have this, uh, you know, foam roller in stock? Yes. Can we get 14 of them? <laughs> you know, or <laughs> you have right. this bar? Yes. I need six of them. Like these bulk yeah. orders of the exact same thing. Yeah, repeated. For sure. For sure. For sure.
1: Um so yeah, and that's kind of where we're where we're at now is um is we have uh six basically identical stations and we're trying to make everything just right at your station. So when you're in your class and once we're at sort a of point where COVID allows us to start sharing equipment again, your you know, three people that are at your station, they all just share the same stuff and all the stations are identical so that you know, it doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to try to pick your favorite bar. It's over at this station or your favorite this, cause it's over there. It's just streamlined and efficient. And, um, let's just get the most done in the one hour slot that people come in for their class.
0: I love it. So, uh, just for those listening. So you have six pods basically or stations. Yep. And when you're, when you're really busy, is there one person per station or is it like two or three per station?
1: Uh, well, it's a, a pre-COVID versus current is a different answer. So uh, our model is sort of based on th- uh, three people per station in our barbell classes. We, we have two main types of classes. We have our barbell class we call strength and conditioning. And then we have kettlebell classes, which are almost all kettlebell based with occasional pull-ups or TRX rows or something like that. Okay. Uh, so everything we've talked about so far has been the barbell based strength and conditioning class. And so for those, yeah, we, we tend to rotate groups of three at each station. So you can fit up to 18 folks in a class. Um, now with COVID and trying to keep distancing and space and everything, we're only running one at a time right now, but then, you know, this isn't going to last forever, obviously. And so once we get back to it, that'll be the plan is get back to three people at each station.
0: Okay. Awesome. Uh, so you have, there you are, you have this thing running, you modify it, you know, everything's going good. Then you get the opportunity, but you dealt with some uh, crappy neighbors, contractors, problems that being, I mean, you were in downtown Portland and being in a downtown is tough for things like parking and access to the back and moving in heavy equipment. Like those things are really tough in a downtown situation. Uh, So you get the opportunity to kind of move a little bit outside the city, just about, you said about five to 10 minute drive, Yep. move outside the city and you're basically building back almost the same set up a little bit smaller because of the footprint, but what were some things that you were like, I want to start with this. What are some things that when you knew you're moving, you looked at your, uh, your business partner and said, we are never doing X. (laughs) Um,
1: well, the good news is we, we had things rocking and rolling pretty good at, at that point. And in order for the context of this to make sense, I should offer some backstory as to kind of why we moved and everything like that. So one of the pieces of advice that I had heard before we ever opened our first location, and I think I heard this from one of the Cosworlds who do a lot of fitness business coaching, was that you can, uh, they recommended trying to find a location really close to like a well-to-do residential neighborhood, but just outside of it. So you're not paying top dollar for your rent. And it still is easily accessible for everybody. And we thankfully scored that. So we technically were in an industrial area where we were, but just a couple blocks away was a really nice neighborhood that's really established and everything like that. So it worked, it worked pretty well for us. Um, What we didn't anticipate was how quickly development would happen in that area. Um, And so we basically saw the writing on the wall that. We either needed to buy the building instead of lease it, or we need to get out on our terms because the landlord's going to sell it to a developer and, you know, something's going to happen. And we thankfully had a really awesome landlord. Like we could be super transparent with each other, which I know is not always the case. So We totally scored there. Um, so ours, ours was great. And once we, we initially sort of brought that conversation to him, and at first he was like, Oh, you know, that might sound good. I don't know right now, but you know, let's talk about it, you know, in a year or something like that. And so that we brought it up again a little later and, uh, he and his brother were the owners and they sort of came back to us with a hard note that they're just not ready to sell yet. And, uh, with that in mind, we're like, okay, we gotta, we, we, we need to get out on our terms before it's too late. And, you know, we're just priced out and there's nowhere else to go. And the part of Portland that we the were old, in, uh, it,
0: we're happy to renew your lease. And it's just going to be another $10,000 per month on it. Yeah. Doing. I mean, yeah. we're happy to have, we love to have you as clients and also pay $10,000 more a month.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And it's just um, that, that was going on in my neighborhood. It was like the fastest developing part of Portland, which is one of the biggest growing cities anyway. Right. So we're in the fastest growing, most expensive pocket of one of the fastest growing cities out there. And so we're like, okay, like we're not going to just sit around and wait for this to happen without us taking the initiative on it. And so we knew that all of Portland is going to have this happen at some point. And the, the neighborhood, the immediate neighborhood that we were in was, um, just didn't have any inventory on the market for us. And, uh, that, the stuff that was there was just out of our price range. It was just, I mean, you were paying top, top, top dollar for it. And we just didn't have the budget for that. And so we were like, okay, we, we need to go a little bit out of the neighborhood to find something that is in our price range. And we found this location that we're absolutely in love with now it's only a 10 minute drive away. It's in this like super cute, like old school mom and pop neighborhood part of Portland. Um, this whole strip that we're on it's it's, it very much has this like main street feel to it and our building was built in 1910 almost everything on our strip is like 100 years old uh and it's just super freaking cool and and awesome so that sort of is like why we moved and we knew that we wanted to not just lease again because we didn't want to go through that cycle over and over and over again we really wanted to be owners um and so we were able to find this awesome building that was in our budget and. in spite of the renovations that it needed, we got those done too and made it work. And so here we are. Uh, and with all that said, uh, you know, prices in Portland have gone up a ton since seven years ago when we started. And so uh, the, what we can afford now was only about the 4,500 square feet that we're in compared to the 6,000 that we started. It's just the, the prices have gone through the roof. And so we still thought it was a good fit, but we had to be really selective with what we do in our space to make sure that we make every square foot count. We had tons of square foot like to spare in the old place, right? And here with this one, we have to be a lot more selective. And uh, so for example, one of the things that was really nice to have, but just didn't make the cut coming up here is our AstroTurf. It was like 600 square feet and we would use it twice a week and that would be about the extent of it, right? Uh-huh. And so, we had to make sure that everything that is in the building, we use, like, all of the time, like, all day, mm-hmm. every day.
0: Yeah, that's so, that's so smart. And for those listening, like if you want to get started in the kind of clinic gym model, when you open a 1,000-square-foot gym, you can make a lot of money out of a 1,000-square-foot gym. Mm-hmm. But one thing that you have to do that small space does teach you is you got to be very selective in your equipment. And... Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, well, it's different. I want to program this or, but, and like, make sure your programming fits your business model. Don't program, Mm -hmm. you know, barbell snatch. If you're working with 68 year old golfers at the country club, but also if you have a barbell and you have the space and you have the rack, make sure your programming includes that because if you move out into the open space, it's like, now you have this big dead area of your squat racks. This is not doing anything for you, you know, or you have your, your Olympic platforms or whatever. So make sure those two things fit. And, um, and I love the fact that you're saying that and like, hey, turf was great. We just didn't use it enough to make it worthwhile. I think that's a yeah. fantastic um, uh, insight. Was there any specific equipment? Like, did you move from kettlebells more to dumbbells or dumbbells to kettlebells or or decrease the barbells for your strength and conditioning class? How'd you guys do that?
1: Um, thankfully, we, had to the only major thing that changed well there's there two major things that changed. One is we lost the turf. Um, and then two is we had a, a small Olympic lifting program that we moved off-site to a small annex uh, facility just because we didn't have enough square footage here. And we only would run those, you know, one, one class per evening four or five times a week, right? It's not an all-day thing. Uh, largely because exactly what you just said. One, how many people have the prerequisites to even be doing weightlifting? Not that many. Two, how many qualified coaches do you have to coach weightlifting? Well, our answer is one. My, my wife, Mira, who is the co-owner of the gym with me, um, you know, good, you know, properly qualified weightlifting coaches don't grow on trees, nor do people with the requisite mobility and strength to even really get, get going with weightlifting.
0: And if they do have the requisite mobility, do they have the requisite wallet to pay you that? Because there are a lot yeah. of 22 and 23 year olds that are great at Olympic lifting, right? which is great, but that's not necessarily what will pay your, you know, how would I say your premium level membership that really yeah. has the profit margin.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we've found over the years is that our barbell strength and conditioning classes, which involve no Olympic lifting at all, absolutely zero. We'll do front squats, trap bar deadlifts Zercher squats floor presses bench presses more of the kind of grind type lifts that are more approachable to almost everybody even if they might not move super well like might not move well enough to be an olympic lifter they can you know get their hands on those and do it safely and of course get better at it as they get some practice so we that and then our kettlebells are accessible to just about everybody um, especially because we have them go through a, a one month on-ramp course before they can take the, the, the group classes. Um, and so we basically built our facility from the weight room side centered around those because they're accessible to lots of people. Uh, they're accessible to that main age group that tends to come to us, which I would say is probably late 20s to mid 50s for the most part. Um, and it gives them what they want, right? Our, our, our big belief From uh, the the qualities that we try to train from a fitness standpoint, strength is top of the list for us, which shouldn't be surprising because it's in our name, (laughs) right? Uh, Strength and endurance and mobility are our big three. Um, There's certainly other things that are valuable, but those are our big three that we focus on and we try to, you know, be the best out there for those.
0: Awesome. So, uh, So with that, when you moved to this new space, did your programming change at all, like length of classes or times? Um, because that's something you learn along the way. Like you, you, I don't know, I did this, like you set up your class schedule for when you want to be available, right. When you want to teach. And then you realize, sure. Hmm, it looks like my customers actually want something else. Yeah. So probably do what they're asking for, you know, right. or more barbell or more kettlebell or, or, you know, uh, did you see your programming change?
1: The programming has changed not because of our space, but because of what you just said as far as like what people were gravitating to and what we were, what we were seeing people succeed at. Um, when we first started, we had more of a heavy emphasis on the barbell stuff. Uh, it, it might be too long ago for people to remember, but in 2013, it was not common for a general person to go do squats and, and do barbell lifting. And we wanted to change that, right? We thought we we thought we could get a barbell in people's Dude, hands and do it the right way.
0: I got to tell you this, not to sound like the old guy on this call. So I'm 43. I did Olympic weightlifting in college, competed. I graduated in 2002, May of 2002. For the next five years, I would say, I net I struggled to find a bumper plate. Yeah, and and you would have to go to these like underground. I call them A teams, like the A team. You remember that show where? if you yeah. can find them, they can help you okay? <laughs> to find a set of bumper plates and like a decent, like a Lico bar or, or any decent bar that had some whip to it, yeah. it was almost impossible. And you would go to these mm-hmm. grungy, they remind me of like the old boxing gyms that like Rocky would train out of, you know? Right. <laughs> like oh yeah. Just two platforms, bumper plates, and a bunch of guys like that look, you know, and smell like they haven't showered in a while, but they're moving weight, you know? And, right. and, and yeah, you're right. Like front squat was a unicorn lift only Olympic weightlifters did it and the fact they went full depth was crazy and up until 2010 man I don't think if I think if you went into a gym and said hey have you ever front squatted to most people the answer would be no right and, and now a lot of people like, wouldn't even know what it was back then right yeah what do you mean by front squat like what a hack yeah. squat a machine what are you talking about Yeah. yeah so I think you're absolutely right and That's one thing I always say, like, you know, give credit where credit's due. CrossFit did two things. Number one, it made barbell lifts cool, like Mm -hmm. powerlifting everything. And number two, no one, no single group has ever gotten more women to lift serious weight than than I think CrossFit did. You know, like, they convince women it's okay to lift. It's okay to have a strong butt and strong legs that look great but you're not going to be wearing skinny jeans, you know, <laughs> right. Actually, you are have to get special. Yeah. Jeans, but <laughs> right. right. You look great in them, you know, and it's, for sure. And I think that did so much to kind of break some stereotypes and whatnot for, for women, especially, but even for men, like full mm-hmm. depth squats. If I would have told you that, I don't know how old you are, Tony, but it, like in 2002, like, Hey, uh, do you do full depth squats? And it's like, Oh no, yeah. that's bad for your knees. It, oh, it was a bit
1: a taboo bad. for a while. Right. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Uh, so yeah, we tried to, uh, we, we, we've never been a CrossFit gym. We've never been an affiliate or anything like that. Um, we've always just been our independent own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but similar, we, we wanted to get authentic strength training available to, um, just your regular Joe. Right. I think your and, wife's a perfect
0: example. Like you don't look yeah. at her and go, well, I know she's into you know, weightlifting. It's like, right. It's right. Like exactly. It's like small framed, Asian woman that's, that looks like she's in great shape, but you wouldn't think that she's a freaking absolute machine under the bar, which <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. yeah. And now for anybody out there listening, she uh, is a, a master's age category, national champion in weightlifting. Um, and I think uh, last time she went to the worlds, I think she finished fifth in her age category for, for world yeah. championships. Okay. For like,
0: and how tall is so. she?
1: Five, five.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. She's, the last time I remember seeing her, I think it was in Long Beach and uh, performed better Long Beach. And I think she just a small frame, you know, but it's right. it's great to see that. So yeah. uh so going back, so you 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 had kind of refined your your training model, you moved to this, whatever you want to say, this uh station setup. Mm-hmm. And um were there other things that you maybe wanted to expand when you moved to this phase or hey, this we had this this program and I really wanna take that up to the next level.
1: Oh, yeah. So there's two two answers to that question. The jujitsu one, I'm going to give you second. So don't let me forget to give you okay. that, that aspect of it. Um, but then uh, we were talking about kind of how we started, right? And, yeah. and so that segues it into this question too. So we started with barbells as our forefront. And even though my wife and I did kettlebells, we didn't go into this thinking that that was going to be nearly as big of our business as it now is. And I think that's what most people know us for now is we're like, you know, the premier kettlebell gym of uh, Portland.
0: I heard um, you guys have those kettleballs.
1: That's right. Those yeah. cowbells. That's what that's we've right. got.
0: That's, that's how you know you got a an got interesting person on the front end, but they're saying wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, one of the questions you asked earlier is if we've made changes to the programs over the years. And the answer is, is yes, based largely on what, what are we seeing the new folks coming into the gym succeeding at? And – the demographic of people coming in has changed over the years. When we first opened, we got a lot of people that were first, maybe a little younger. And second, maybe they were like a former high school or even collegiate athlete or something like that. So they, they took like a fish to water to the barbell lifts and basically they were missing it. They're like, Oh man, I haven't done this in five years or 10 years. It's so awesome to get back into it. And then as we got successful and as our name got out there, we started drawing people that maybe had never had a gym membership before. And they were starting from square one. And there's a lot of those people out there. Um, And we wanted to make sure that we were totally accommodating and welcoming and made them feel comfortable and made sure that they were successful too. And what we were seeing is that they were having a hard time with the barbell programs comparatively to the kettlebell stuff. Um, And at the same time, those same people that came with a really strong athletic background, we're also thriving in the kettlebell stuff. They were like, oh man, I my co- college career would have been the next level if I'd been doing this stuff back then. So that's been a big shift for us over the years as the kettlebell material for us has been hugely successful, regardless of if it's somebody's first gym membership that they've ever had in their life or somebody that was a D1 athlete. Um, and so over the years, it's been a shift where we've always had barbells, we've always had kettlebells, We started with a lot more barbells and now we have a lot more kettlebells. Um, and so that's been a product of, we want to be able to safely get as many people as possible, like legitimately awesome workouts. And the kettlebell is our tool of choice, both for them using it and for our ability to structure it within the class model.
0: So the good news too, for those listening is, uh, you know, even the best bars, the Aleco bars and, um, I'm trying to think of the other high-end uh,
1: works on Usaka yeah. stuff like that. Yeah,
0: they're and all great, kettlebell. except they do get beat up, and every once in a while mm-hmm. you blow up bearings. I've yeah. never blown out bearings on a kettlebell. I mean, oh no, man, Kettle kettlebells are them, indestructible. Run them over, cuss at them, shoot them, set them on fire, and damn, they yeah. show up to work the next day just like they did the day before. I they're they're awesome. They're and awesome. Same with bumper okay. plates. Although bumper plates have made a huge. I remember back in the day, you'd get those the ten pounders and. And 15s even, and they'd start breaking down after a while being dropped, you know. But I do really like your perspective. This is an interesting thought about prioritizing your training towards what people will be successful with. Mm -hmm. Because I think if you can get, uh, you know, uh, you've heard the Cosgrove speak and and Tom Plummer and everybody, if you can get that person to be a member past the one-year mark, the likelihood that they're going to be a long-term member is huge. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to all the gyms that offer a lot of equipment and space, but no real community, no real coaching, no real expertise. Right. Um, even the nicest ones, I think like even uh, lifetime fitness, which is, you know, there's, you couldn't walk in there and want for anything. I mean, it's amazing. Right. It's clean. It's beautiful. But I think they even have like eight to 11 months as our average length of membership. Yeah. And you know, if you're really trying to make this your career and make money off it, if you can get a, Uh, stable of clients that's sticking with you for two or three years, man, your life gets a whole lot easier, a whole lot easier. Yeah. So I think that's, that's great. And one of the things that I I, I've said this a hundred times on this podcast, but you know, the first time a woman gets her first unassisted, true, clean pull up, right. The lights go on, something changes, you know, and and I think that happens. She's going to be a member at least six more months. Like I've never seen them go, well, I'm (laughs) out of here. Um, but I think like some success, I think too, sometimes with women, if they deadlift their body weight, sometimes Mm -hmm. that happens as well. If they're, if they're interested in strength, um, there's a few different exercises that are like that, but, um, yeah, I, I just think that, uh, shifting to more of a idea of what will my client be successful with is a great move because you can always smoke people. So they won't be successful, but it's really important. They grab on and go, I can do this. Like I can be a strength athlete. I can be a. Uh, a lifter quote unquote, you know?
1: Right. Right. And I think, uh, that word success needs to be seen by both parties, but it needs to be seen by the coaching staff and it needs to be seen by the people that are coming in and doing it. Right. And I think that's a, it's such a huge miss in so many facilities because there's they as odd as it sounds, they don't tangibly measure anything. Other, other than maybe like, did you lose weight or did you like whatever, right? But from like a performance standpoint, they don't actually tangibly measure anything. And kettlebells are uh, something that that's a big problem with because mm-hmm. even though there are some great ways to measure your fitness and your progress with it, if you go on like Instagram or whatever, all the Instagram stuff is on like weird kettlebell flows and all this stuff that are just like a random thing that like don't seem connected to much of anything else. Versus our approach is we have our core exercises and we have a few sort of, you know, like kind of benchmark, like stress test things uh, that we'll, we'll put you through every few months. And our training program is designed to get you better at those. And so when you first walk in the gym, maybe, you know, after you learn your form and everything, you might first uh, only be able to handle a 12 kilogram or 26 pound kettlebell for one of these mm-hmm. benchmark workouts. But you give us 18 months. And you're going to double that, right? And people are like, man, like when I walked in, like even looking at that kettlebell scared me. And now like I'm swinging it around every day like it's nothing. And so that's like that light bulb for them that they know that it's actually working and something that used to seem almost impossible to them is now their everyday normal.
0: Yeah, I think all the clinicians listening to this, we we have so much of a desire to make or help our clients become resilient And you can do that through tissue work all day long, but if it doesn't happen in the mind, that's all for naught, right? It it doesn't matter. And conversely, they're willing to push through a lot of tissue problems to get, if they, if they see it in their mind. And I think, man, if they can double their kettlebell, they are convinced that they're bulletproof. They are convinced that they are strong enough and can put up with tweaks and twinges and everything and keep moving forward. They're not going to be gripped by fear of movement you know, and going to quote like what people call bed rest, like that is the worst thing for them. You know, yeah. So yeah. that's fantastic.
1: Um, so one of your other questions. Uh, yeah. Oh, I said, I said there was two parts. One was yeah. the one. one had part. to do
0: with jujitsu. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So ahead. the
1: other one was um, uh, our old facility. So this is this is going back to what did we change in the facility and what lessons did I, I learn? The old facility, uh, the the only reasonable way that we could have laid out the floor plan put the jujitsu mats at the very farthest end of the facility, which would have resulted in, which basically resulted in you had to walk through the entire weight room to get to the jujitsu mats. And the problem that created is that, uh, and I know you're trying to talk to some folks out here about how to make sure that their business is successful. Right. Um, A problem that created for us is from a martial arts standpoint, one of the biggest business uh, revenue producers is a kid's program. And we never felt safe having a kid's program because I didn't want a small army of kids walking through a 5,000 foot weight room and climbing on the racks and pulling the weights off. And it was just a nightmare. Like we would have a couple of open houses and it took all of 10 minutes and the kids trying to pull one of our 25 kilo weight plates off of the rack cause it's chrome and it's shiny and whatever. And I'm like, oh my God, you're gonna lose a foot, right? Um, and so, no kids uh, in our program there uh, because of that, the the layout. So we saw that as a big area of opportunity. That's that's one of the biggest changes uh, as far as the, like the layout that we learned. And so, what we did with the new facility is we had some construction happen to make basically uh, a hallway that you took upon entry. You go get change, hit the restroom, whatever, and your hallway would split like a fork. And one way takes you to the jujitsu area. The other way takes you to the weight room. And you can see one from the other, but you can get to the jujitsu area without ever going in the weight room. So now I'm going to feel like we can safely have a kids program and they're not going to be like, you know, trying to pull weights off of the thing and, you know, climbing up on the top of the pull-up bar and falling off or stuff like that. So the way that you organize the facility and the, the accessibility of it Uh, Is a lesson we learned, and I think it's going to be huge for us once we kind of get rocking and rolling in this new new spot.
0: I I didn't plan to ask you this, but I and I don't know if you can think about these numbers, but I do have this question now. It sounds like you have some very special classes. So I'll use Olympic weightlifting, which you said you moved offsite. But thinking back to when you have Olympic weightlifting, that uh, you know you have a low number of people who are physically capable, and also a low number of people who are skilled enough. To fulfill on that business promise. Right. 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 Then you have jujitsu where you have, I would say, probably more people willing to try than are willing to try Olympic weightlifting, although mm-hmm. um, there's still some, there's a baseline requirement for some mobility and some stability. Right. Um, But you also need a specialized coach to coach it. Or you can't just pull anybody off the floor. Mm-hmm. And then you have these kettlebell classes where a skilled Instructor helps, but I don't. But I think you could, you know, grab somebody off the street and and teach them in about two weeks in your own facility how to run this <laughs> class. I mean, of all the things, you're never going to teach somebody in two weeks how to be great at jujitsu. It's impossible, right? Right. You're never right. going to tra- train somebody for two weeks how to become how to do the barbell snatch and look like you know what you're doing. Yeah. Teaching the kettlebell class, I think you could pull it off. The barbell class, the strength of conditioning, I think you could pull it off. Yeah. But if you look at that. I don't know which one's most profitable, but if you were to rank them in order of which one is, has the highest profit and also requires the least specialty to it, because if your most profitable thing, like in a yeah. clinic, a lot of times people go, oh, my most profitable thing is orthotics. Cool. Who sure. can administer them? Only a licensed physician. Right. Great. Now we went from eight possible people down to one or two, right? Um, so it's like that profit really doesn't matter because it's so hard to get to.
1: Yeah. Um, so I have one definitive answer and that's the the least profitable is the Olympic lifting. It's just d- don't get into that. If you need it to put food on your table and pay your rent, it's just, it's just not going to happen.
0: Right. And I assume it only exists because your wife basically is a badass at it. Gym. Yeah, <laughs> that, That's her love, right? Like that's her yeah. passion. It, it's right. So it's like, Hey, uh, you know, it's like, you ever seen Joe dirt that he goes to the firework stand. The guy's like, I sell sparklers and snakes. And he's like, why? And he's like, cause those are what I like. He's like, you don't <laughs> need firecrackers. You don't need fountains. You don't even no. I don't like those. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're not going to have the most profitable fireworks stand if you only have those two things.
1: Right. Right. Um, so yeah, she does it cause she loves it and, um, uh, she enjoys, you know, working with everybody and stuff like that, but it's not uh, something that helps our bottom line much at all
0: the between it's it's a very um equipment specialty as well like you need a platform that's you're going to commit square footage yeah the bars i mean if anybody's ever bought a high-end olympic bar they're twelve hundred dollars for one they're you know
1: very expensive they're very expensive um so yeah that's uh that's that between the kettlebell stuff and the jujitsu uh it's difficult to compare so with the kettlebells we so all in order for us to actually have a coach teach kettlebell classes for us, they have to have their strong first instructor credential. Um, and that takes for most people six months to a year to prep for and, and go to. So um, people know that they're getting a certain high quality with, with us, uh, with, with the kettlebell stuff. Uh, on the jujitsu side, um, one interesting aspect for that is that you can get – the, the way an instructor gets into a kettlebell role versus a jujitsu role are usually very different, uh, with the, the kettlebells or pretty much anything on the fitness side. It's, it's people's full-time job, right? Like we, we have basically only full-time coaches. They work for us and it's their entire, it's their career. That's what they do. Um, on the jujitsu side, other than me, nobody is a professional jujitsu coach for us they're just students that kind of came up under me that want to see the program grow. And they, you know, some of them just like, Hey, I'm going to volunteer my time. Like you don't even have to pay me. I just, I want to teach. I want to give back, which is awesome. Um, some people we work out other arrangements with or whatever. Um, like we always try to compensate in some way, of course. Um, but it's, it's not their full-time job. They just love teaching and giving back and doing a class or a couple classes a week. So once you get your first, year or two under, under your belt, bad jujitsu pun. I know. Uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, it took you a second. Um, then you might have some students that are at a point where they can help teach some classes for you and, and, um, you know, not have a whole lot of expectations that way. Um, one other good thing that jujitsu has got going is because there's no equipment, it's just mats. You can fit the most bodies per square foot.
0: Um, Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Same with yoga, by the way. I mean, yoga studios are fairly easy because you, you make the, the walls look nice. You make the locker rooms look nice, keep the bathrooms clean and the rest of it's hardwood flooring and mats, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Not a whole lot of build out and maintenance and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, So, yeah. And then the other thing with the jujitsu and the kettlebells is that both of them are fairly, there's a lot of people that are interested in each, but there's definitely more people that are interested in fitness than there are interested in martial arts and self-defense.
0: However, with that
1: one the, the difference, martial though, arts is, people are more, more invested. They stick with it more. I was like, just going to ask know, that
0: because yeah. one of the things, you know, in martial arts, you have a clearly defined goal. Nobody ever comes into yeah. a jiu-jitsu place and says, hey, I want to tell me everything that I need to do to move up one belt level. Right. It's like, right. tell me everything I need to do to get to a black belt. Right. Yeah. And, and that is, but it's clear. It's like, Hey, there is the peak, the, the terminal Endpointer, they think it is, right? Like sure. black belts, like when, when you start, it's like graduating high school, essentially like, Oh, you're finally not complete dumbass. All right. right. Let's, let's show you what to do. Right. Um, and whereas in fitness, it's like a unclear what the end goal is, right? Like, Hey, we want yeah. to do X, Y, Z. So it's
1: also, it's also interesting. And this has been one of my I'm one of the few people I think that lives in both worlds because I, I'm sort of like our head instructor on both like the, the fitness side and on the, the jujitsu
0: side. And, and you and also the, look at the books every month, which gives yeah. you some clarity as well. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but um, from a, from the conversations you have with somebody who's maybe a little bit new, new to your facility. And we take somebody that's on the, the fitness side or we take somebody that's on the jujitsu side, or even somebody that's doing both with us, their attitude, tends to be so different on one side versus the other. It, it in let's start with jujitsu. I never I never have a new jujitsu student come in and have any expectation that they should be able to do what the black belts do on their first day or week or month or year. Like nobody wants to go have like awesome. try to spar the black belt <laughs> at full effort like right. when they're new. They right. know that's a bad idea. They want someone to help help them start where they are and coach them and guide them along the way. People's attitude toward fitness is the opposite. They see they're new to the gym, but they see the hyper fit person doing hyper fit person stuff. And they think that that's what they should be doing to get fit. And it's a harder conversation because we know that we need to start them where they're at. Just like I need to start the new white belt in jujitsu where they're at and nurture them along the way. People have a great attitude for that in martial arts. And a lot of people have a difficult attitude for that in fitness. Um, Thankfully for us, I can just point to the other room and I can use that analogy to them. I'll tell people that and say, what, you know, and then they're like, Oh, kind of a light bulb moment. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes not, (laughs) but, uh, but it's, it's a very, it's an
0: interesting dichotomy. Yeah. I mean, essentially it it seems like it would make sense to mirror the setup of your brown belts in the fitness side. Right. So, so you get those assistant class instructors for jujitsu that are just more experienced students that maybe, you know, want to stick around and do it, but they, they want to instruct. If you could have that in fitness, that'd probably open up some freedom for you as a coach. Right. And then also like that level of commitment, but it's like the, the level of what's reasonable expectation for your first year, for God's sakes. I mean, yeah, you know, you'll see people like I, I had a guy and he's like, "Yeah, I want to deadlift 375 my uh, a year from now." Like, what's your deadlift now? He's like, "I just started the gym last week." I'm like, "Have you ever deadlifted?" No. I'm like, "375 for most people is not like it's a funny weight because it's nowhere near any massive record, but." Right. That's still a lot of weight for an yeah. untrained deconditioned person right. even in a year, you know? And I'm like, what? But I love your fact. Like you would never go over that sign. like, Hey, I'm going to beat you in, in one year. <laughs> like, right. Right. You out of your mind. Yeah. So, uh, that that's fantastic. So parting thoughts here, Tony, I just want to wrap this up for my listeners. And I think you've shared a ton of great information here. Um, if you were advising people, so, so I know you've had bigger facilities, but if you're going for a small mm-hmm. facility, right, maybe you can only fit three of your stations into it. Yeah. Uh, what advice, maybe one or two things that you think people should really think about as they're adding. And I, I'm going to put the caveat, it must be profitable. They can't start yeah. a gym just to have a workout club. It's gotta right. be making right. some money for them. Yeah. Um, what tips do you have?
1: Well, I think with anything, uh, you always try to reverse engineer. You, you start at the end and then you work backwards. So, okay, who are the people that are going to be able to, you know, pay the tuition or the, the the gym dues or whatever that we need in order to help us be profitable and pay the bills or whatever. And then we reverse engineer, like, what what do they want? What's going to get them in the door and keep them in the door? And so, obviously, from a fitness standpoint, we need the workout. So, be aware of What type of workouts you're designing? Are they appropriate and approachable um, for, for those people? But then also one of the big things that we made significant improvements on with our new location is we realized that the physical space was an important thing. Our first location was super cheap and it was a super crappy building. It had a ton of roof leaks. It had almost no heat. It had no air conditioning. It had almost no changing rooms. It had almost none of that stuff. So, as we're sort of evolving, we realized that, you know, that was something we heard a lot of feedback about over the years. And some people were super cool with it, but some people had scared them away that it was cold and it was, you know, whatever. So, we made sure to get better uh, amenities, shall you say, better changing rooms, um, you know, more showers um, uh, Better heat and insulation and all that stuff because uh, that's what people wanted and we're we're pretty excited for that and we can see that that is sort of the last piece of the puzzle for us. We already had the equipment, we had the programming, we had the workouts, and now it's that that other part of the facility where they've got the changing. We now have a lobby where people can hang out and chat and have fun and have that social and community aspect too. So uh, that was a missing link for for us. Um, but yeah. Uh, to recap, and, I would say start reverse yeah, on, engineer. Real quick. As yeah. far
0: as amenities, if people are starting out too, I think it's important to share. Has anybody in the history of your gyms, Tony, ever walked up and said, I noticed that you have, uh, you know, rep brand kettlebells. I only work out with rogue kettlebells or something like that. Like, do they care about the equipment in their hand? Or, because I, I advise people yeah. all the time, go to a secondhand store. Like if you can pick up kettlebells, yeah. If they're quality kettlebells, I don't care if they've been used for 50 years, you won't be able to tell.
1: That's a great question. Um, For the most part, uh, they don't really care at all. I mean, you certainly want it to look professional, right? Um, So we tried to buy matching sets of stuff as much as we could. And like, you want it to look like a professional outfit. You don't want it. If
0: you're with rubber hexagon dumbbells, don't throw a set of round steel dumbbells within there. Like it, it looks. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, But I think the people that, uh, that you were alluding to that, that do care, they probably just have their own garage gym anyway. Right. They're, they're not going to be the people that come and see you. So the people that really care aren't probably going to be the people that stick with it. I mean, some people might say, oh, this is nice but it's not a deal breaker one way or another on the equipment. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point.
0: All right. So amenities are important. I mean that you literally got feedback. Hey, that that's the place you need to improve the most. You guys are awesome. You're smart. I love it, but the roof leaks and it's cold and it smells like <laughs> mildew. Uh, and so what, what, what's your other tip? You said you had two.
1: Um, well, I, yeah, I think that was sort of the, the, the big one is start to like re- reverse engineer. And then, uh, the other one I would say is, you know, for me, the, I got into this because I love it. And I wanted to share what I was truly like passionate and authentic about. And the fitness industry is I think too hard to try to deliver something that you think people want when it's not something you really want to deliver. Um, and so I think you're going to burn out if you just try to only come up with something that seems different and cool and trendy, if it isn't authentic to who you really are and what you believe. Um, you know, for example, industrial strength is our name because we are a strength training facility. We are unapologetically a strength training facility. That's what we do. That's what we're good at. And that's what we deliver. We've had people ask us, are you guys ever going to add yoga? I'm like, I've taken like three yoga classes in my life. Um, back when I first moved to Portland and was single and went for ulterior motives, <laughs> um, um, but no, like we're, there's a yoga, there's a good yoga studio on every corner in Portland. Like we don't need to add that here. That's not authentic to who we are. That's that's not consistent with what our mission is. Um, and so we need, uh, well, I advise people out there, understand like what are you passionate about and what is your mission and s- try to stay as laser focused on that as you can. And don't, don't get distracted by all the shiny objects out there.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great advice because... You know, having that genuine kind of focus, they can tell they can tell if like, you know, I mean, I'm sure you're not against increased uh, mobility and like yoga would probably help you like there's no downside to it. But you just in your heart of hearts don't believe in it as much as you believe in the strength training or the kettlebell work. And it comes off, you know, it's, it's really hard to fake that. So I think that is great advice. Uh, the one thing I'll say is you just don't let that get in the way of your profit margin. Don't, don't right. have your clubhouse. I mean, at least you guys came to that realization. You have a, you know, world ranked, uh, lifter who owns a gym and, uh, in your wife. And you guys were able to say like, that's great, but it's not profitable. So we're going to move it off site. Cause we want to have a business that works for us too. For sure. For sure. Not having the money to travel the world would really suck when you qualify. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very much true. Very yeah, much. So. All right, Tony. Well, I do appreciate it. Listen, um, sometimes we do have listeners that do want to go check out uh, facilities and whatnot. If any of our listeners are are listening or they're in the Portland area, can they contact you and set up a time to stop by?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the our website is going to be industrialstrengthgym.com. and so you okay. can contact us there. Phone number, email, address, all that sort of thing. Uh, and then we also over last year twenty twenty built a full virtual gym. So if anybody wants to follow along with our kettlebell classes, that uh, is anywhere in the world, you can stream them, we film them and upload them five times a week. So you get new workouts five times a week. And they're the actual classes that we do here. And that is just on demand.industrialstrengthgym.com. And if you don't know how to use kettlebells yet, we have a whole super, super detailed um, technical uh, component to that too.
0: So that's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so we have a, a really detailed technical breakdown and we have 18 like hybrid workouts that are half learning the technique and then half using those techniques in a workout setting. I so love that it. By, the, by the time you're done with those 18, you're ready to rock and participate in our, our virtual classes that we've got.
0: Awesome. So that's ondemand.industrialstrengthgym.com. You got it. Fantastic. Well, on behalf of Tony Gracia out there in beautiful, sunny sometimes, but mostly rainy Portland, uh, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Tony, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I want to let you know that this episode was brought to you by clinicgymconnect.com. Now, if you want to grow your practice, add a gym, provide great customer service, Whatever you want to do in your clinic or in your gym, Clinic Gym Connect can help you do it faster, easier, more efficiently, and make your patients and clients fall in love with you. So just check it out at clinicgymconnect.com.